Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. This phrase has been passed down for eons, and my interpretation of it is that essentially if you want to be great at something, whether it is mentally, physically, spiritually, you have to remember the fundamentals. On top of that, and more importantly, you must continue to practice these basic needs day in and day out. If you want to be a great basketball player, you need to always focus on footwork and handling. If you want to be a great artist, you need to focus on structure and consistency. Nothing could be more applicable for B2B SaaS. In order to build a great business, you have to focus on all the fundamentals of operating and executing. You need to effectively use capital, hire well, continue to book meetings, etc. You don't just reach an MRR milestone and call it quits. And even if that, that checkpoint, it's acceptable to you to stay at that checkpoint, you have to continue to practice fundamentals in order to maintain that level. It's not as much about a checkpoint as it is about a personal best. Puyan Salahi, CEO of co-founder of Scratchpad, is an excellent representation of this practice. As a serial entrepreneur and founder, Puyan has done multiple tours of running and operating in B2B SaaS. He understands that before you reach company enlightenment, you must chop wood and carry water. And after you reach company enlightenment, you must chop wood and carry water. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect to the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Puyan Salahi dives deep on growth. We're going to talk about innovating a product with real demand, understanding how people work differently, establishing a consistent market fit, hard lessons of a dynamic business environment, and working toward common goals with differing values. Who are you and what do you guys do? Hey man, thanks for having me. So my name is Puyan Salahi. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Scratchpad. Yeah, and what's Scratchpad? So Scratchpad is the first workspace for revenue teams. Okay. And that's an impressive line though, by the way. Thank the you. The first thank workspace you. for revenue teams. Yeah. Like that one got me like, oh, all right. Okay, what's yeah, there? Yeah, 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 but yeah, I think yeah. it's still, you know, it's still relatively early. The problem has existed for a long time. And so the whole reason we we even started Scratchpad was what we observed is, you know, in most organizations you have Salesforce or some CRM, right? But let's just say it's Salesforce. But if you actually look at how the sales reps work, it's not in Salesforce, yeah. right? So you've got taking notes in Evernote, Mac notes or OneNotes. You've got, you know, pipeline management or account management in spreadsheets. Yeah. Tasks are all over the place from Post-it notes to Asana to Wonderlist to Todoist. Yeah. And we saw this pattern over and over again at every sales team that we talked to and how reps work. And even at one company, people would have all sorts of different setups. Yeah. And what we did is we kind of stitched that together and said, well, gosh, people are creating, they're duct taping their own workspace together. They're using these general purpose horizontal tools yeah. that, you know, project teams use and marketing teams use and sales teams use. Well, yeah. what if something existed designed specifically for a salesperson and also for the revenue team? Got and so that's the idea behind the workspace for a revenue yeah. team. And tie that, tie that together for me and listeners. Yeah. Like, so I've, I've seen your site and such, but it's like. Right now in my head, based on your description, yeah. I'm thinking notion for revenue teams. But how does that look rather than us just putting everything in Salesforce or putting everything in Notion and porting it to Salesforce? Like, so kind of describe, I know it's a little hard because we're not looking at a demo. Well, let's use an analogy. Imagine if Notion, Airtable, and Asana got together, partied one night yeah. and said, we're only going to do it for Salesforce. Got it. So that's it. So it's it's not, and, and actually I, it, Trello, let's throw Trello in the mix too, sure. because it's, you know, you can break down what we do into silos of like, okay, well, there's a note-taking piece and a spreadsheet piece and a Kanban board and, and task, and we also have a multi-data set search. And, you know, in a way, those have existed for a long, long time. Long time, yeah. You know, I'll be honest, we're not doing any any of that, like, radically new. Sure. 
there are companies that have tried and failed. There are companies that are doing that today. There are companies that have this as a feature set in what they do. We observed and we approached was one, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter whether you have the functionality. What matters is how easy is it to use? Interesting. Right. And I think if, uh, if for anyone that's listening, that's in sales, hopefully this resonates. It's like every single click counts, every single millisecond extra you have to wait counts. And so what we set out to do is create the fastest, simplest, most intuitive experience, not just for any one piece, right? There's, there's so many different note taking apps that connect to Salesforce. Um, and sure you could hack all of this together through Zapier, connect Trello to Zapier to send all the, one, which rep is going to do that. Right. And even if you do that as an ops person, so the thing that we, we set out to do is say, it's not just about one piece. It's about how you as a salesperson do your job. Do you have it set up so that I don't even have to go into Salesforce? I just realized that I haven't gone into Salesforce in two weeks yeah. and they started using it two weeks ago. But the flip side is, well, you know, if any RevOps folks are hearing that, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa we want everyone to work out of Salesforce. In Salesforce. Yeah, but that's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the way we've architected the system is that the, the reps, instead of having to go between Evernote and Google Sheets or a table and all their task yeah. systems, they now have one place to do their work but it's all connected to Salesforce, yeah. not through some bi-directional sync that you have to set up and manage and all that, but it actually is Salesforce. That's and cool. so the ops team, the managers are happy, data's there, next steps are updated, pipeline's yeah. clean, and the reps are like, I'm getting more time in market than I ever have before. That's so interesting because it's, <laughs> what I wanna say, and I hope you don't take offense to this, is like, what an amazing but sad opportunity that Salesforce sucks so much in terms of their UI, like I'm not, we use Salesforce and yeah. it, it, there's a reason we use it, even though it's like painful, but it's almost like, uh, you know, there's been so many of these products where it's like better analytics on top of Salesforce and you're like better UI basically on top of it. Well, more UX, I would yeah. argue. Yeah, yeah. No, in a way, but I think you know, there's a lot to unpack there. We actually didn't set out to solve the Salesforce problem. Sure, sure. And what I mean by that is, listen, we all know it's Salesforce is really difficult to work with as an end user. I think they even know that, right? They've, well, they've it's not made for them. It's on. made for the VP or the director typically. Yeah. That's who yeah, they yeah. care about. And, yeah. and then it's forced down onto the reps to say, well, you have to update these things. Sure. And then the other hard part is every month, every quarter, it changes. Yeah. It's like, oh, the new product leader that just came in wants this field updated so they can understand why we're winning or losing or what's going on. And so what's happened is that all, all of this debt is now carried on the shoulders of the end users, the reps, yeah. as burden. Right. So it's this drag that's put on them to say, all right, you now have to do all of this additional admin work. And they're like, well, you should also be spending more time with customers in the market. So the reason I say all of this is our entry point and the whole reason we started Scratchpad wasn't to say, well, let's make Salesforce easier to work with. We backed into that. What we did is say, how can we make the job of a salesperson more effective? How can we solve something, build something for them? Yeah. Right. Because the analogy I like to draw is, you know, if go outside of tech for a second, look at um, look at chefs. Sure. You've got a kitchen that's optimized for your craft. Yep. You don't have the, the fridge in one corner and in the, in the stove in a completely different floor. It is optimized for your craft. You look at an artist, you have your studio that's set up for what you do. And if you look at it through that lens and say, well, what if sales is a craft? Yeah. Well, what do I have as a salesperson to be able to do my job okay. in the best way that I can? Yeah, I and that doesn't exist. And then it just so happened that we backed into saying, well, Salesforce is the most popular CRM, and so let's make sure that we connect to that. But I think it helps you kind of get a broader view and a more appreciation for what an individual rep does, but then also how that rep connects to the broader revenue team and how they work together. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that it's kind of an interesting conundrum because there's been other, there's been a lot of tools that have focused on rep productivity 
because of the, I'll say CRM problem. Like I know we're kind of picking on Salesforce a little bit, but but every CRM has this, even the new school CRMs, they still have, hey, this is a little bit cumbersome for the yeah. rep to like do something with. And so I guess my question is, is like, was it the fact that you kind of combined a lot of this stuff so that, that you kind of made it so that like it's one pain that I have to go to versus yeah. Salesforce and all these other places? Is it the approach? I'm sure there's a little bit of like a way that you set up the UX of the experience yeah. of the experience. Probably a lot of things, but what what was kind yeah, of let driving me, yeah, that? Let me, let me yeah. walk you through that because I think if, I guess if anyone's listening and thinking about starting something, we actually challenged ourselves a lot before starting this. My co-founder and I, we've been together for 10 years. We've built a lot of products that we shouldn't have built. Like there was no demand for it. We thought it was cool. Our last company was in the sales tech space and we got a lot of traction with it. We ended up selling it, but we had this empathy for it. But even then this problem wasn't obvious to us. And, you know, everyone complained, oh, Salesforce is tough to use. Okay. Then you look at all the tools that are out there. Like you said, there's literally a graveyard of companies that have tried yeah. note-taking apps for Salesforce, spreadsheet type interfaces to Salesforce. I mean, Salesforce even has it. It's yeah. Lightning, they've got Quip, they've got all, there's so many different ways. And so for us, we said, well, what are we gonna do that's any different? And when we studied those products and talked to other folks that, that were involved in those, in those products and companies, what we learned is it's not necessarily about the functionality, like it has to be there, but the fundamental point is about adoption. If you unpack that, then the adoption piece is, okay, well, why would a sales rep adopt something? And it's not because it's some flashy new tech. Yeah. It's that it gives them real substantial value, not some value. Yeah. And then for reps, you know, a lot of folks thinks, think that reps are lazy. They don't update Salesforce. I reject that. I think reps are not. They're entering the information. It's just in their own spreadsheet. It's in note apps. It's not getting there. It's like, who wants to do work to show the work that they did. They're used to using these tools, but they don't want to spend time to learn something new. So we said, okay, if we can build something that is intuitive, that you can hand to any single account executive or anyone on the sales team, and within one minute, they are completely set up, and then they have a path to seeing themselves being successful with it, then we have something. That's cool. If we don't have that, we've got nothing. We are the same as any other B2B SaaS sales tech application. Yeah. And so we spent the first three to six months just on that one piece. That's cool. And, and I think that right now is kind of proven it out. If you go to our website, you see the customer testimonials and, and the impact that it's had on people is that piece held out to be true, right? It was, a, yeah. it was a bet that we made, but that then unlocked the doors for everything else to happen. So that's one part of it. The other piece is if you look at software products, B2B SaaS products right now in a way, you know, I'll go to one extreme and say, it's all kind of trivial. Like they're all application layer. You can, you can get in a good enough team and you can build it. But what matters is the experience behind the product. So you could say right now, there could be 10 other clones of what we do, sure. but they'll have a different flavor profile. And to come back to food, I love food. I love, I love using this analogy. Like yeah, Let's yeah, break yeah. it down to pizza, right? All right. Break, that, break the pizza down into its components. Yep. You've got the dough, you've got the sauce, you've got the cheese, you've got the toppings. Yep. And then you have the process for how you cook it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like pizza? I love pizza. Okay, do you have a favorite pizza have you spot? Seen me? Come on now. Pico here in uh, Boston is amazing. Okay. If you're ever out in Boston, that's where you got to go. All right. So, yeah. But if, if I were to break those components down, and a lot of like yeah. RevOps and investors even do this, they'll break something down into just the feature set. Yeah. And you can do the same thing with food and pizza. But what is it about Pico that makes it your favorite pizza spot? Really good ingredients at every layer. And then the cooking is precise. But there's something there. Yeah. The way they put those ingredients together sure. that makes it stand out for you. Totally. And, and I think. It almost feels weird saying this, but I think the experience of a, you know, of a SaaS product or experience of a software product does have a profile, does have a flavor yeah, profile. That's it's that experience is what you feel. Yeah. They do right? the whole like over 
little well done type pizza. Yeah, but, that's and, like and that's for you, spot. right? Like yeah, you exactly. like that, where totally. somebody else might like uh, yeah. the Chicago deep dish, or somebody else likes yeah, the New York yeah. style. But I think the the other piece that a lot of I think SaaS applications or software applications miss is that it should, at least for the end user, in my view, it should make you feel something. Yeah, and I it like should that. and it should have an experience behind it. So that's something again we bet on, and we said. It's not just about the fact that you can update Salesforce quickly, sure. you can take notes and log, make tasks and it's your workspace, but it should give you this experience that you're like, I want to use this. I'm excited to use this. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Many of the tools that were created for this problem did not go from, I'm gonna say a bottoms up approach or an end user approach. You're doing the end user, you're creating like the, the, the pizza, you know, the flavor, that kind of thing. Most of them, it sounds like they were a reaction to, hey, your rep's pissing and moaning constantly. Here's this thing. So they just kept selling it to the director and the VP yep. versus like going after the rep. Yep. And so I guess my question is, is to continue the pizza metaphor. And by the way, what if I would have said like Pizza Hut or something? Like how, how much judge would you have judged Listen, me? I don't, I don't judge, man. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. No, no judgment there. We all have, you know, and, all and, different and, tastes, and we're yeah. actually doing, and there's a whole nother component to this. Why, why I think other, other products before us have failed is, you have to have a certain level of flexibility. So this was my question. Yes. Pizza, yeah. right? Like you love Domino's, you love Pizza Hut, yeah. great. It's like your style. You yeah. love consistency, right? Other fancy stuff, you like a, like consistency of certain things, but a little bit of tinge every yeah. once in a while, right? How do you account for that? Because yeah. one rep's using Evernote, one rep's using Notion, and now you're trying to say, hey, this thing is going to be okay for you. Let's say everyone's using Evernote, but they're using it in different ways. Sure, 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 Somebody sure. takes very detailed notes, almost like they're, they're basically transcribing. Yep. Somebody else writes two bullet points. Yep. Somebody else takes their notes during the call. Somebody else does it after. Somebody does it at the end of the day. When we, and we literally shadowed reps. We yeah. sat behind account, several accounting executives. Real research, which is Watched great. how they work. And, and even then it wasn't obvious to us that, okay, we know how to do it. It was, it was connecting a bunch of small dots, yeah. these observations that the picture slowly started to emerge. But I think, you know, if you look at the space today, even some of the, you know, other companies in our space, they're, they're, they're way too rigid. Got it's it. like your entry point into taking a note has to be from a calendar event and your fields are inside your note and then you have to update them. You can't come back and do it later. And so the other, um, you know, our approach to it was, We'll be very opinionated on that it has to be intuitive, it has to be fast, and it has to be simple. But we need to be flexible enough to adapt to how different people work. Listen, you've, you've, you've run sales teams, you, you, you're building a company as well. You know, even you take a small team, a 10-person yeah. team, everyone has a slightly different method of working. Yeah. We process information differently. We yeah. communicate differently. And so if you're building for end users, you have to be able to adapt to that. Otherwise, what you're doing is saying, nope, this is the only way that you can work. And then again, that comes back to what I was saying before, which our key thing was adoption. Yeah. So if we're going for the best adoption, we have to have be flexible enough where we can adapt to these work styles. Sure. You as an end user can configure Scratchpad in a way that works for you. But now here's our challenge. We have to be able to then stay with this rigid system called Salesforce, right? Yeah. So that's, that's the secret sauce and the magic that sure. we do. I imagine your growth brings more complexity, right? Yeah. So if you think about, you're always, you know, there's a really rigid, like, this is how you do project management or note-taking or something like that. And then there's, like, something kind of like a Trello, which is just so flexible. It can be used by all types, anyone who needs to do something, right? And you're kind of, like, riding this middle, right? Yep. And giving some flexibility for people to kind of expand out in each direction, depending on what they're trying to do. How do you think about that problem? Because every single sales team, you're it starting to compound that problem. problem. It yeah. is such a hard problem because... 
that that structure and that rigidity in a way you need. You need yeah, that yeah, process yeah. to be able to scale because you, you know you can look at this. If this thing were on the table, we could keep turning it around and looking at it through different lenses, right? Sure, 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 sure. And you can look at it through the end user, which is the account executive, account manager, sales engineer, like anyone on the end user and the yeah. revenue team. And for for them, it's like, okay, listen, I'm I'm working with customers. I have to get these deals across the finish line. I have to work on the renewals if I'm account manager or upsells. And there's a certain level of flexibility I need to do my job. Maybe a little bit of structure, but sure. not too much. But now if you turn it and you look at it through the lens of revenue operations or sales operations, it's all about consistency. It's all about process. It's all about standardizing. And that's important to scale, right? And so I'm not saying that that's bad, but it's, it's at the intersection of these two that it becomes really difficult because on one extreme, you have what exists today in most organizations, which is, you know, the sales or the sales ops or, or rev ops team yeah. comes and say, we need to follow MedPick. We have these stage requirements at every, when you move a stage from two to three, you have to fill these things out on close one, this has to happen on. And it's a massive page layout in Salesforce. We required fields, validation rules, all of this stuff. It is the epitome of rigidity. Yeah. And so they need that. But on the flip side, you've got the reps which are like, well, F all that, I'm just gonna do my stuff in notes. Yeah. And so we're coming in and saying, okay, how can we keep the structure, but then give you a way to say, you know what? When I look at my stage two ops, I. I prefer to process information with like this field, this field, this field, and this way, yeah. I may look at it differently. I like to see close date first and then this piece. So I think there's a room where you can be flexible, but sure. still have that rigidity. Cool. It's a huge design challenge. And honestly, that's like, you know, back to why I guess you didn't ask this, but like why me and my co-founder really like yeah. leaned into this is like when we had the observation of, okay, we think we know the problem. We have a unique angle on it. There's also another component is like, is that something we're excited about? Sure. Is that something we feel like, we can get up and like get fired up about every single day. And like, you know, we just get really fired up about design challenges that impact how people work. Cool. And that's where we're like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we were about to get into that. Okay. Which is great. Cool. How'd you get here? Like, what were you doing? Like, what's the history? Uh, how far back do you want to go? As far as you want, <laughs> man. We got time. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Domino's pizza. So actually I grew up, you know, I, I'm immigrant to the country. Like I'm originally from Iran, came here, but grew up, you know, my, you know, probably spent 45 minutes talking about that. Yeah. yeah. We could talk, talk, there's all sorts of talk stuff yeah, to talk yeah, about yeah. there, but no, like I started working when I was nine. Like we, my parents had a Domino's pizza franchise and like, I love Domino's by the way. Yeah. That's the like classic. If we're just getting something quick and the other place, yeah, Domino's is great. So even with that though, you know, I'll, I'll fast forward a bit. I joke later on, I, you know, I studied engineering, went to business school at Harvard and I joked that I learned more about product and business from running the pizza shop than at, uh, than at HBS. But even if you look at it within the constraints of Domino's, right? You think, yeah. all right, fairly standardized franchise model. Even within that, you have so much variance yeah, yeah. in how you approach those simple ingredients, putting them together. And that's why you've got some Domino's that you like and others that you don't. Yeah. And, and so anyway, I, I grew up running that, was managing that store. Um, I always knew I loved to build. I loved to create. I had no idea what it would turn into. Yeah. And then I knew I loved problem solving and understanding how things work. That's why I, I did engineering. Going to business school was more of that thread, which was, felt like I understood our, how to build things and, and products and, and, uh, and what have you, but I didn't quite understand just how the world of business worked at a macro level. I understood it at like a small business. So that was the business school route to satisfy that curiosity. I ended up at Apple for a few years, worked there in like hardware operations. You know, I think, I then saw, you know, and this was when the iPhone had like just launched wow. and I started to see just, just the impact that applications were having. Yeah. Um, 
And so I really wanted to move towards that. And yeah, for the last 10 years, I've been doing, uh, doing startups. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I want to talk to you about Iran, but or Iran, yeah. sorry. But it's like... Yeah, it was the, the yeah. middle of the Iran-Iraq war. Like I remember yeah. surf, there was a surface-to-air gun not too far from our house. That thing Jeez. was going off every night. Um, bombing raids would happen. Lights shut off. You yeah. got to go outside. And so... It sounds like you were old enough to remember, but yeah, not old enough, old enough to, to like, remember. Yeah. I grew up in Minnesota, which there weren't many other Iranians there. I grew up in uh, Wisconsin. Okay, so you know yeah, the yeah, Midwest yeah. fairly well and, and, and what that's about. Um, it's funny how many immigrants all over the place end up Minnesota and Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyways, anyway, no, but yeah, it's, yeah. you know, I think that's what kind of drove me to, um, you know, cause if, if I look back on the journey of starting companies, it's been, there are probably a lot of times where I should have quit. Yeah. A lot of times when it's just, the writing was on the wall of like, this isn't working. Sure. Just go get a job again. Do your thing. Do yeah. your thing. But I felt like, you know, growing up and having left Iran, but still having a ton of family there and seeing like, like, what the, what the hell do I have to complain about here? Yeah. Right? Like those folks are just struggling to like get a basic education. Like, yeah. There's all these things outside of their control. And like, we're here, all these opportunities are available. And I think that's what underlined a lot of the drive to say, like, I almost have this responsibility to like the, make the most of this. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's kept me going. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those, I, I think you you meet a lot of folks who have that perspective, right? That DNA, like it keeps you going. And there's a lot of ways up the mountain, but it's it's it's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's also fun. And I think when you, you know, I kind of fast forward the 10 years of, of startups, but I think, you know, when you, when you get a good team together, so like yeah. my co-founder and I have been working together for 10 years now, right? Sure. And I feel like when... When you get a good team together and and you're just you're gelling, you're aligned, you like solving similar problems, it's just a lot of fun too. Yeah. Our last company was I'd say, yeah, what it worked, the product's still alive and it's there, but it wasn't a wasn't most run. like not a huge yeah. success. And that's really tough to to kind of go through that, especially in Silicon Valley. But like how do you get through that then? Like what's the you know, like cause I can imagine like like the thing if it if it goes into the ground and maybe your first company did that, yeah. it kinda is like we can look at it. We can go, okay, this is why it went wrong. Maybe it was in my control. Maybe it wasn't. And depending on that, you, you learn to live with it or whatever. But if it kind of like Midlands, you know, it's kind of like, it's a weird thing. Cause you're kind of like, I'm giving up on this baby because the baby isn't growing enough. Now I'm going to move on to the next baby. Right. And it's like, no, there were times yeah. I, I wish it would have just crashed and burnt yeah. because it would have been an easy, it's an easy outcome at that point. Well, like failure, you don't have control. That it's kind like, of failure is like, almost heralded you know in our yeah. world so yeah, yeah it's, and i think a lot of founders or a lot of folks may even get to product market fit sure. early on and then it just stops you just kind of flatline and there those aren't the stories that are really written about yeah right but there's so many more of those than i think a lot of folks realize and that's a really hard place to be well and the hard part about that too is that people are like oh it's amazing it's so hard to get to one three ten whatever it is and you're like, yeah, but there's a lot of companies that die here, you know, because yeah. you figured it out or you wrote a wave that isn't there anymore and all those types of things. And product market fit's not really a binary thing, right? How do you kind of keep that pulse then after you've had that initial traction to kind of keep going? There's so much content out there in these blog posts. Oh, you need to get to a million in RR and then yeah. you can raise your A. You need to get to product market fit and then everything's great. Or you get to 10 million and like, oh, it's all open. Yeah. I think it's all, right? Because you you have you can look at so many different companies that have stalled out at 1 million, at 5 million, at, 10, at 30 million, at 50 million. At least my view on it is, with, especially with product user fit, product market fit, you constantly have to be focused on it. Yeah. It's, 
it's not like once you get there that like, okay, our company's there and then like everything is static. Like the world is constantly changing. Yeah. The market's constantly changing. Yeah. And so it's something that, I, I'm, you know, me, my team, we're always paying attention to and not sure. just saying that, hey, just because we've had this, you know, this incredible success and growth with Scratchpad so far that like, oh, great, we're good. It's over. We figured it out. It's like, oh, no, it, almost every day. Um, for us, we approach as like beginner mindset. Yeah. We're just learning, challenge our own assumptions. Well, you've seen this really painfully with a lot of sales, sales enablement tools yeah. where, you know, the whole like email tracking craze, right? You remember the like 24 products there yeah. and then like a lot of them got heavy funding and then they all had to pivot hard in yeah. many different directions. I, I think it's, it's important to know, and this comes back to that product market fit piece, how substantial is the problem that you're solving? Mm, interesting. Because otherwise you can be fooled and say, all right, you got, you got the product market fit, but it's not a very durable product market fit. And I'm, and I'm using that term loosely simply to say, okay, you've solved enough of a problem where some people are willing to pay you and it's growing month over month to some degree. Yeah. But if you don't, and, I, and I've made this mistake, my co-founder made this mistake, we made it together and we yeah. really tried hard to not do it this time around, which is think ahead a couple steps and say, okay, great, assume that's true, then what? Because yeah. assume, you know, there's so much capital now and there's so many folks funding now that there's going to be clones and copycats left and right. We've had people copy our messaging left and right. People are trying to, yeah. we've had literally literal clones of Scratchpad already. And so we're always looking ahead. Like we have a very clear vision. We see those pieces, but that came through some hard lessons, right? Because we didn't do that the last time around. We thought, great, like we came out, we're growing month over month. We got the million in revenue super quickly at our last company. We're like, we're good. Let's just keep growing. And we didn't have a clear vision or kind of that clarity on what is the deeper problem that we're solving? How do these pieces connect together? And I'm not saying that you need to have that right away or that it's like that stuff comes to you all at once, but just to constantly challenge yourself and ask that question. Well, I think that that exposes the, the constant precipice that you have to be on, which is by design, you have to kind of drink your own Kool-Aid of like, this is one of the most important, you know, issues or important things that yeah. we need to solve within this market. And then it's all of a sudden, like, if you're if you're not also being like, yeah, but everyone else is going to like come into this or maybe this feature will get commoditized. If you're not having those two conversations in your head, almost schizophrenically, unfortunately, yeah. all of a sudden you're running into a world where, you know, the market can go too far or, yeah. or can stray or you don't see it coming, which is always the painful part. Or even part. falling in love with your own product. Yeah, right? One hard. of the things we always do is just, I'm like, well, why do we, would, buy, would we buy our own product? Yeah, and not, yeah, not from the features and the functionality now, but looking at it and challenging it through that lens of sure. would we buy something to solve the problem here that matters and so i think that's like being connected to that is so important besides kind of training your brain to to not go too high or too low i guess Do you have like triggers and things like that that you like look for? Is there like a meeting you do periodically for this? Is there like, like, is there something that's a little more functional or is it literally just like constantly asking the question? You know, I think it starts with the founding team, but then creating that space and leaving it open for your own team to say, hey, like maybe, maybe we don't really matter all that much the here culture in this way. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and really setting that culture to say, let's be objective, sure. but let's also be critical of the work that we're, that we're doing ourselves and yeah. saying, just because we built this thing that it's awesome and it has to be there. Yeah, maybe the features and functionality are awesome, yep. but does that matter? Yeah. And how does that fit into both the user's lives, but also whoever we're selling to? Yeah. And that's the piece that I think we we just keep obsessing over. That's cool. I like that. And if, and if you're off, you're off. Yeah. Be honest enough with yourself to say, 
we messed up here. Like, yeah. let's let's reset. That debate culture, I think, is really important. Yeah. I think you, it, it's hard because when people hear debate, they think yelling or personal attacks, you know, things like that. But I think it's more of like always be seeking that truth and yeah. then always be willing to have that conversation. And when you take things personally, that's when it gets a little volatile because, you know, it's your baby. You're like, no, this is the future. But that voice that's like, I don't know, like that's that ends up being the kernel of like the evolution that needs to take place. Well, I think that that actually I would challenge that a little bit, whereas sure. the second the second we started hiring folks, it was no longer my baby, my co-founder's baby. It's anyone that joins the team. And so we we were very deliberate about our values up front. Sure, sure, sure. I always thought, OK, that's something you do. It's a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, it's staged at a company. But in, in this case, with Scratch, we had very, very deliberate. And we challenged them and we really connected it to behaviors that we valued. But one of the core values that we set out was ideas. Okay. And that the fact that ideas, regardless of who they come from, sure. where they come from, those are what we debate. Yeah. And so then living that by saying, okay, you could be a new t team member. You literally joined yesterday and you should be able to contribute in the same way so, yeah. that a co-founder does or a leader does. And it's the idea that's front and center. And we can debate those all day long. And that I think has led to this yeah. culture where you can, yeah, like challenge something and say, you know what, like maybe, maybe this is the better way to do it. Or what if we did this? That's not easy to do, but I think that yeah. that's the important piece behind it. We went even more intense. We say, uh, think critically, be disagreeable. Yeah, That's that 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 principle that we go after. But I think you, you brought up a really good thing there that not really the topic of what we're talking about, but it's behaviors that you want to juice or improve yeah. on. That's the thing with values. And yep. if there's no trade-off, I think you don't have a value. Like the, the trade-off of words ideas, you throw up there, man. Yeah. Trade-off of ideas and stuff like that is sometimes you're going to go a little slower. Sometimes it can be a little more volatile. Like there's an actual trade-off to that being a value. Yeah. And sometimes when you set them too early, you had experience. Like we were setting them as a first-time founder. It's like, you know, you get a little too aspirational. Yeah. And also like, you're not, it's not you, right? Like necessarily, because you don't know who you are until yeah. you've, you know, been in the trenches. But we finally got a good set that I think is like lasting for a long time. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. We we had the benefit where it was, you know, it was a core team that had worked together worked for a together. while. Yeah, exactly. And that that helped us. We just kind of reflected back like what are the value what are the behaviors that we gravitate towards or that we respect out of each other and other team members we worked with? And what are the ones where we've been like, we don't we don't want that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Where can people find you and anything to plug? Scratch fan. Let's so do it. Yeah, if you're on a yeah. revenue team. I'm excited to be like, hey, Peter, you got to check this out. Yeah, no, yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. and listen, we love feedback. So um, so I think it, it's certainly one there. And, and we're, it feels like, you know, even though we're a couple of years in, we're just getting started. There's a lot of cool stuff we're launching there. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I guess I'm on Twitter, although not super active there, but love it there. Awesome, uh, brother. But yeah, we'd love to connect. Appreciate it, man. Cool. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. A huge shout out to Puyen for doing the podcast. Now you have what it takes to be a stellar operator, particularly when it comes to the fundamentals. Today, we talked about innovating a product with real demand, understanding how people work differently, establishing a consistent market fit, hard lessons of a dynamic business environment, and working towards common goals with differing values. Oh, and if you want to support ProfitWell and the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a five-star review of the podcast or the equivalent of wherever you listen or watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening, and make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.